You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. It was an unpleasant memory. When I was in seminary, pastoring a church in the Memphis area, I had a buddy of mine ask me for a favor. My buddy was running a co-ed teenager church league softball tournament. Say it again. Co-ed teenager church league softball tournament. You can already see where this is heading. And it was an all-day event on a Saturday, so he needed some umpires. So he asked me if I would come umpire. And I said, sure, I want to help him out in a tight spot. And he put me behind the plate calling balls and strikes. Now keep in mind, I didn't have a dog in the fight. I didn't care who won or who lost. I was just there helping my friend, you know, doing the best that I could and, and umpiring this co-ed teenager church league softball game. I keep saying that because this wasn't on ESPN. This wasn't the World Series. This was not a big deal in the the scheme of things. But a mother behind the fence began to take exception with my balls and strikes. And she began to just get angrier and angrier and angrier. And I began to get angrier and angrier and angrier. And then she just started being really, really ugly to me. And, you know, I was pastoring at the time. And, and I thought about using my reverend card. You know, I thought about, you know, hey, listen, I'm a, I'm a reverend. You, and, and, but I didn't. I, I, didn't, I didn't go there. She just thought I was just some young guy. And, and she kept yelling at me. And, and finally I had enough. And I turned over. And we had a little confrontation. And I said, well, God bless you. She said, well, God bless you too. I wasn't being authentic. I didn't really want God to bless her. And, and I don't think she wanted God to bless me. And it's just amazing at a co-ed teenager church league softball tournament that people could get so, so ugly, so caught up in the moment. You know, everywhere we look, we're going to find difficult people. And I want you to understand that as we finish chapter 4 of Ephesians, that the Bible gives us some insight, some instruction, some admonition, some encouragement as to how you and I are to deal with someone that rubs us the wrong way. And we'll see this in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We are continuing our study line by line. Verse by verse, this wonderful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the first century city of Ephesus. We've made it to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Hey, just a quick heads up. In the month of August, we are going to begin a sermon series uh, talking about our 
vision as a church. We're going to take a, a quick break from Ephesians before we get into chapter 5 and, and just talk about who we are as a church, where we are headed. I, exper- I expect this, this uh, August, September, October, this fall quarter will be a time of great momentum and growth for us. Our summer numbers have been wonderful. I mean, look at the, the, the room this morning, right in the middle of summer vacation time. Uh, great, great uh, attendance, and, and I feel like when everybody's done with vacation and school starts back, that we're going to have a lot of folks uh, in our services and in our programming and our ministry. So I look forward to a great time of momentum. I look forward to God doing some great things in the life of our church. And it's a great time to talk about you know, where we're headed. So well, we're going to talk about abiding and advancing uh, starting in August. I want to ask you just to make plans to be here, bring somebody with you. Uh, maybe if you have a neighbor and they want to know more about the church, this is a great time to, to bring them just to, just to hear about our heart and our passion and our focus. So that's in the month of August. Just want to give you a, a quick heads up related to that. But look there with me, Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 31, Paul writes, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, here it is, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we are grateful for this opportunity to gather as a faith family, to fix our eyes upon Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And Lord, as we have worshiped you in spirit and in truth, we are expectant as we study your word. And I pray, God, that you would by your Holy Spirit, take your word and capture our hearts with it. That we might leave today different than when we walked in. That we might leave today more focused and more fervent about glorifying you. Even through the, the difficulties that we navigate in this life. Lord, have your way in our midst. Do a mighty, mighty work. And we ask and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We've learned as we've studied the book of Ephesians that it really divides into two even sections. Chapters 1 through 3 describe our wealth in Christ, all the spiritual blessings that are ours in our relationship with Jesus. And then chapters 4 through 6 take a very practical term where Paul begins to discuss our walk with Christ, how we ought to live in light of all that Jesus Christ has done for us. And in our section of Scripture this morning, we uh, see, if we look back just a little bit before the passage that we read, that Paul is encouraging the Christians in Ephesus to live according to their their new life in Christ. In fact, he says, you need to to, to take off the old self, to, to put off the old you, the old sin nature that used to control your life and dominate you. Put that away, lay that aside, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Let God change you starting with your mind so that you can put on the new self and, and show a watching world the difference that Jesus Christ makes. So we've been talking about putting off the old, putting on the new, and Paul gets very specific in the, the, the passage that we've been studying the past couple of weeks, but, but this morning we see that 
in a summary fashion, Paul helps us to understand the way that we ought to respond as Christians. That's important. As Christians, the new self, how we ought to respond when we find ourselves engaged in conflict or dealing with someone who is difficult. And this is, this is vital because how you deal, listen to me, how you deal with difficult people is one of the best measurements of your spiritual maturity. How you deal with difficult people is one of the most reliable measurements of how you are growing in Christ. I mean, it's easy to come in here and act like a Christian, right? We're, we're surrounded by other Christians. We're singing songs. We're praising Jesus. We're studying the Word. We're shaking hands. We're amening. We're smiling. We've got our church clothes on. I mean, it's easy in here to, to be Christian. But what about out there? What about when we find ourselves in conflict or someone has offended us or someone has hurt us or wounded us or someone is being unreasonable? How do we respond then? And how we respond in that moment is a very reliable indicator of where we are in our spiritual maturity. And so what I want to do is I want to walk back through these two verses that we just read together. And I want to lift from the text three aspects of dealing with difficult people. Three aspects of dealing with difficult people. Here's number one. Realize that interpersonal conflict is going to occur. Realize that interpersonal conflict is going to occur. Look what it says there in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Notice here that the fact that there will be conflict between people is just assumed by Paul. Notice Paul doesn't say if... You know, if there's bitterness and if there's wrath and if there's anger and if there's clamor and slander, deal with it this way. No, he just assumes, there's no if there. He just assumes that as we walk through a fallen world surrounded by fallen people, that we will deal with conflict. It's just assumed by Paul. Now, as we study the New Testament, we see that, that Christians were experiencing hardship because... Oftentimes, unbelievers were persecuting them or oppressing them for their faith in Jesus Christ. So, so conflict can come from those outside of the church that are mistreating us because of our faith in Christ. But also, if you look at Paul's letters, much of what he's dealing with when writing to these churches is conflict on the inside of the church. Conflict between those who name the name of Christ. And, and people are in uh, in opposition to one another. Paul writes these letters in, in part to help them to deal with these conflicts. And so, just notice, this is not an if. Interpersonal conflict is going to occur. This verse reminds us, there will be things that people do to us that make us mad and cause bitterness. Now, I, I shared the illustration at the beginning of the sermon about umpiring a, a softball game, and, and that's kind of a silly example. And I, I, I get that. I was just trying to illustrate difficult, unreasonable people, which I thought I did well, because the lady was being unreasonable. But anyway, 
but, but I understand. Listen to me. I understand there are things going on in our congregation, in your lives, in your families that are much deeper, much deeper than a silly softball game, a fan arguing at an umpire. I realize that as we live our lives, as we bump up against other people, that conflict can occur and people can hurt us deeply and wound us deeply and wrong us deeply. And here's what Paul's saying. When that happens, don't don't, uh, drift towards your natural response. When we are offended, when we are hurt, our natural response will be some, some inward sins. Look at these inward sins that he mentions. Bitterness and wrath and anger. Bitterness is a sour spirit. It's a feeling that comes when someone leaves a bad taste in your mouth. That's kind of a, a, a translation of, of that Greek word, the idea of that Greek word. It means to be, listen, particularly resentful toward another. So they've done something to offend you. They have wronged you in some way, shape, or form. And over time, that has built up in your heart and in your mind and in your life to the point where you are bitter, where there is a a, a resentment towards that, that person. And Paul says, when that happens, don't be bitter. That's natural. That's a natural response to conflict. And then he says... Put away not only bitterness, but wrath. Wrath. Wrath is passionate rage. That's what wrath is. It's rage. It it, it rises above just anger at someone to where it begins to control your thoughts and your speech and your actions. And it's rage. It it affects the, 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 the way that you interact with others, it, 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 it affects your emotional state. It's, it's passionate rage. And he mentions their anger, which is the forerunner of rage. And this word anger is just a general feeling of hostility towards someone or something. It's something that makes you mad. That's, that's what anger is. And so Paul's saying, not if, but when, when conflict occurs and someone mistreats you or someone is unreasonable or someone does you wrong... Don't be, don't respond in a natural way. Don't do that. It's natural to have bitterness. It's natural to have anger. It's natural to have wrath. Those are are inward responses. But he also mentions outward responses. He mentions the word clamor there. Look what it says in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. Clamor describes people, listen to this, who raise their voices in a quarrel, It speaks of a public outcry or dispute. It reflects, watch this, a public outburst that reveals a loss of control. So clamor is when you're upset about something, you're angry about something, and it controls you to the degree where it just spills out. And you say something publicly or make a scene publicly because of your anger. That is clamor. Paul's saying, put that aside. Don't do that. That's the natural self. That's your old self. But then he mentions slander. Slander is speaking evil of someone with intent to destroy their reputation. That's what slander is. It's saying things about someone that is false, that is not true. And the, the point of the slander is to hurt them in the eyes of other people. Paul's saying, put that aside. You're a Christian. You should not be a person of 
slander. And, and then the, the last word he uses to speak of outward responses is the word malice. Malice is wishing, wishing ill for someone. Wishing uh, uh, that someone would befall something that's difficult or hard or painful. You're so angry at another person that you want them to hurt. That's what uh, malice is, wishing ill. The word malice is the word blasphemia. It's where we get the word blasphemy from. It, it, it's, it's, it's wanting something for someone that is not true, that is that is not in line with what we should want for them as Christians. And so he says, when you're offended, your natural response will be what? Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. That will be your natural, that will be your default response. But look in your notes. When offended, God doesn't want our natural response. He wants our supernatural response. Because remember, the old self is dead in Christ. The Spirit has come to live on the inside of us. So the old sin nature no longer has power over us unless we let it have power over us. The Spirit of the living God lives in us. He has made us brand new creations in Christ. We have been born again. Now we have the capacity, the the supernatural capacity... Not to live out these inward and outward responses. He wants our supernatural response. That's why he says there in verse 31, Let bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, watch this, be put away from you along with mouth. Put it away. Put it away. That's not who you are in Christ. So realize that interpersonal conflict is going to occur. Perhaps you've been in... uh, a theme park and you've ridden bumper cars or, or bumper boats. You know what it's all about, right? You're, you're in the bumper car and you're just trying to kind of stay in your lane and drive around, but inevitably what happens? You bump up against somebody and then you bump up against somebody else and you bump up against somebody else. That's what life is like. Life is not smooth sailing. Can I get an amen? Life is more like bumper boats. And Paul wasn't understand that. Not if. But when you are offended, don't respond in a natural way. Respond in a supernatural way. Which leads to the second aspect of this passage that I want to show you in the text. How do we respond when we deal with difficult people? Cultivate a Christ-like heart. Cultivate a Christ-like heart. Look what he says there in verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. He mentions three things there that I want to just highlight to understand what our supernatural spirit-empowered response looks like when we are offended by a difficult person. Number one uh, is kindness. Kindness. Kindness ought to be a hallmark of our lives. As, as followers of Christ, we ought to exude and overflow with kindness. And listen to me, when we are kind in the midst of a very unkind world, it's going to shine brightly. People sit up and take notice when someone acts kind in the midst of so many people that are acting so unkind. And kindness is a... Is a Christian virtue. In fact, over in Luke chapter 6, verse 31 through 35, Jesus says, It's one thing to love somebody, to be kind to someone who loves you back. 
It's an entirely different thing to, to be kind to someone who is your enemy, to someone who does not love you back, to someone who doesn't like you at all. And he says in that passage in Luke 6 that that's, that's God. That's God's character because God is kind even to his enemies. There's a kindness that he shows even to those that do not love him and follow him and obey him and live for him. And so kindness is a Christ-like virtue. And listen to this. You know when you're being kind. And come in close. And you know when you're not. Amen? He says, when you deal with a difficult situation, a difficult person, the natural response is anger, wrath, clamor, malice, slander. The supernatural spirit-empowered response is kindness. The second aspect of this Christ-like heart is compassion. He says there, be kind of one another, tender-hearted. That word could be translated compassion. And it's, it's a really interesting word. It's the Greek word splanknon, which means deep down in the bowels. That's what it means. So it's a way for someone to say, I love you from deep, deep within me. So I think I've told you this before, but uh, you know, young men, when you're trying to express your love for your girlfriend, say, I love you from deep down in my bowels. <laughs> See how that goes. But it's a word, a biblical word, and, and it communicates from deep, deep within me, deep, deep within me. I care about you. I have compassion for you. I'm tender-hearted toward you. It was used in this day and time to communicate caring for someone deeply. Over in Luke 7, 13, when Jesus uh, comes across the widow of Nain, she had lost her only son. The Bible says that Jesus saw this woman who had lost her only son and he had compassion splanking on, on her. From deep down within, Jesus cared for this woman, had compassion for this woman, and then he causes her son to rise from the dead. But compassion, deep down compassion, true concern, tender-hearted concern for others is, 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 is being Christ-like. It's what Jesus is all about. But then we get to the biggie, and you knew this was coming. We've talked about kindness and compassion, but oh man, Paul used the word forgiveness. Can you believe that? He's going to make us deal with this issue of forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the major marks of the Christian life. Listen to me. Forgiveness is what sets us apart from an angry world. And I want to just say some things about forgiveness so we can kind of understand this in a very practical way. First of all, forgiveness is difficult. Can I get an amen on that? Because naturally, we don't want to forgive. We're angry, we're hurt, we're wounded. We want them to, to hurt too. And, and, and so it's not natural to forgive. Forgiveness is difficult. Which means that we need help to be forgiving people. We need the Spirit of God to have His way in our life. We need the, the Word of God to guide us. We need Christians around us to cheer us on so that we can live out practically forgiveness. Forgiveness is difficult. And in his book, The Peacemaker, Ken Sandy really, really helped me here to think through this. And, and he makes the point that, that forgiveness is difficult because of our emotions. When we're, when we're offended, emotionally we're, 
we're wounded and we're angry or, 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 or whatever. And because of our emotions, we don't want to forgive. We want to withhold forgiveness. But Sandy makes the point, and this is so critical, forgiveness, listen, is not a feeling. Sometimes forgiveness is difficult because of our memories. We say we forgive, but we don't want to forget, do we? We don't, want to, we don't want to let it go. We want to keep bringing it back up and holding it against the person that we are called to forgive. You know, forgetting, when you forget something over time, it's a passive process. It's a process in which a matter fades from memory over time. But forgiveness is the exact opposite. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is an active process involving, listen, a conscious choice and a deliberate decision. It's a decision to say, I'm forgiving you, and because I'm forgiving you, I will choose not to bring it back up and hold it against you. It's active. So forgiveness is, is not just forgetting. And it's not our emotions. And forgiveness is difficult sometimes because... Real wrongs have been done. Some people believe that forgiveness means you're just sweeping wrongdoing under the rug. You're just, you're just saying, oh, well, you know, I'm going to wink at that and say, oh, no big deal. I'm, I'm sweeping it under the rug. But Sandy makes the, the case that it's the exact opposite when you forgive. The fact that forgiveness is needed is an indicator that what a person did was wrong. But even in the midst of their wrong, you are choosing to Forgive them and no longer hold it against them. So forgiveness is difficult because of our emotions, because of our memories, because we don't want to just sweep things under the rug. But here's a big reason forgiveness is difficult. Sometimes it's difficult because the other party has no desire to ask for forgiveness or admit wrongdoing. You ever had that happen? Someone has done something wrong. They have mistreated you or offended you. And they don't care. And they're not coming and saying, oh, I'm so sorry, would you forgive me? They're not doing anything. And and you're trying to forgive them, but it's hard because they've never asked for your forgiveness. And again, Ken Sandy helped me here greatly when he talks about positional forgiveness and transactional forgiveness. Here's what he means. When someone has committed a wrong against you, if they are not... If they are not repentant, if they, don't, if they don't admit their wrongdoing, if they don't ask for forgiveness, you can't help that. You can't control them. But in your heart, positionally, you can say, as much as it is up to me, I forgive them. I'm living in a posture of forgiveness toward that person. That's positional forgiveness. And if they ever come to you and say, I was wrong. I did the wrong thing, said the wrong thing, acted the wrong way. Would you forgive me? Then you can practice transactional forgiveness. You've already forgiven them in your heart. Now you can say to them, I forgive you. This is what Jesus talks about in Luke Luke chapter 7 when it says, or Luke 17 when it says, if your brother repents, forgive him. That's transactional forgiveness. But before we get to the the transactional piece. We need to have the positional forgiveness going on in our hearts where we are ready and where we've already forgiven them in our heart by the help of the Holy Spirit. So there are many reasons that forgiveness is difficult. 
But none of those reasons usurp what, what Paul writes here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says that we are to forgive one another. Let me tell you another thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is good for you. It's good for you. Did you know that, that harboring unforgiveness in your heart affects you much more than it affects the person you've been offended by? Unforgiveness will build up in your life a root of bitterness which will eventually take over your... I've seen people who live in unforgiveness and before you know it, they are bitter towards everyone and everything. It's developed over time. Marianne Williamson wrote this. This is a well-known quote about forgiveness. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. Lewis Smead, a theologian, writes this, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. When we withhold forgiveness, we are affecting our own walk with Jesus, our own spiritual life. We're not living as Christ intends, us to, uh, intends for us to live. And because of that, bitterness and emotions build up and we're miserable because we're withholding that which Christ told us to extend. Forgiveness is, is good for you. And then, most importantly... Forgiveness demonstrates the love of Christ to a watching world. There are two different words for forgiveness used in the New Testament. The one used here is interesting there in verse 32. Forgiving one another. Uh, the word there begins with the Greek word grace. Charis. It's a forgiveness based upon grace. It, listen, it's a forgiveness that is not deserved by the other person. And yet you choose to forgive them Anyway, you see, forgiveness is a picture of the gospel. When you forgive someone who does not deserve it, you are pointing them to Jesus who came and died on the cross for our sins, even though we don't deserve it. You're picturing amazing grace. You're letting them see the Jesus in you. You're letting them see the difference Jesus makes. You're letting them see the, the, the power of the gospel on display. So when we forgive, when we forgive others, we're showing others how great the gospel is. Renee Napier wrote this. I came across this article years ago. But she wrote in May 11th, 2002, 24-year-old drunk driver Eric killed one of my twins named Megan and one of her friends named Lisa. Both girls at the age of 20 passed away. She writes, this was devastating for all three families involved. Her family, Lisa's family, the drunk driver Eric's family. But she writes, this is also a story of forgiveness and healing. Renee writes, my family and Lisa's family chose, listen, to forgive Eric. We even appealed to have his 22-year prison sentence reduced to 11 years. 
Since March 29, 2004, I've traveled all over the country telling this story to thousands of people, mostly teenagers. I always talk about forgiveness because we have learned how powerful it is for everyone. Did you hear that? How powerful it is for everyone. Eric told me, the drunk driver who is in prison, Eric told me he has his eternal salvation because of Megan and Lisa. He learned the power of forgiveness through the family and then he sought the forgiveness of Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. Renee goes on to say her goal is one day when Eric gets out of prison to come and stand beside her at these these gatherings where she warns about the dangers of drunk driving but also to show these different audiences how powerful forgiveness really is. Wow. It's a picture of the gospel. And here's the deal. Whatever you think about the other things I've just said, forgiveness is good for you, it's a picture of the gospel, it's difficult what we're called. Whatever you think about all that, understand this. Forgiveness is commanded. This is not an option. Look back with me in verse 32. Be kind to one another. That's a command. That, be, uh, that word be there starts a list of commands, a string of commands. Be kind to one, uh, one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. So that ties into the word be or the command that's implied in the word be. And so forgiveness here is a command. It's commanded other places in Scripture as well. Listen to me. For the Christian, forgiveness is not optional. This is not if you feel like it. This is what God calls you to do. It's a command. It's a big, big deal. But this leads me to the third aspect of this passage I want you to see. First of all, we shouldn't be surprised when we're confronted by difficult people. Conflict is, is going to happen. Instead of reacting in a natural way, we want to react in a supernatural way and cultivate a Christ-like heart. But third, and this is where the rubber meets the road, you ready? Remember, we are all difficult people. Because as this sermon has unfolded, we naturally think about people in our lives that have hurt us. People in our lives that have offended us. People in our lives that have been unreasonable toward us. But what we need to understand is we're all works in progress. And we all have our shortcomings. And we are all difficult people. How do you know this? Look what uh, Paul writes in verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. But he doesn't stop there. If he would have stopped there, we could have just, we'd be, be okay. He doesn't stop there. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Wow. He's saying there that we are forgiven people in Christ. We have embraced forgiveness. Therefore, we ought to extend forgiveness. You see, people who harbor unforgiveness, listen to me, have short memories. I'm going to say it again. People who harbor unforgiveness have short memories. They forget about their own failures. They forget about the times they have been the offender rather than the offended. They forget about the sins they have committed. And as they are withholding forgiveness from another, 
They lose sight of the fact that they needed radical forgiveness from Jesus. And Jesus drives this point home over in Matthew chapter 18. He shares a parable, and it's really a striking parable. And to kind of sum it up quickly, it's about a man that owns another man a lot of money. In fact, Jesus uses the phrase 10,000 talents. Now that's the largest Greek numeral coupled with the largest unit of currency in that day and time. 10,000 talents. One talent was a small fortune. 10,000 talents was beyond anyone's wildest imagination. 10,000 talents. We're talking like tens of millions of dollars in our, in our thinking today. So here's, this, here's this, this man that owes this other man millions of dollars. And he'll never be able to pay them back. But the man who is owed the money forgives him the debt. And says, you don't owe me that anymore. I, I, I forgive you of your debt against me. So naturally, the man who was in debt, 10,000 talents, he's excited, right? Yes, forgiveness. It feels so good. I'm free from the debt. I'm, I'm free to live my life. And then... The man who had just been forgiven 10,000 talents has another man walk up to him. And the man who walks up to him owes the man who had just been forgiven one talent. About 20 years uh, wages for, uh, one, I'm sorry, 100 denarii, which is 100 days wages for a laborer. About half a year's salary, which is a lot of money. Half a year's salary is a lot of money. And this man owes the man who just been forgiven, you know, a good amount of money, but it's 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 far short of the millions and millions the man had just been forgiven. And when this man walks up and says, "I don't have the money to pay you," the man who had just been forgiven the the ten thousand talent says, "What? You don't have my money?" And he flies into a rage and has the man thrown in debtor's jail. Well, the, the first gentleman who was owed 10,000 talents hears about this. And he says, wait a minute. I forgave that man all of that money and he couldn't forgive a much, 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 much smaller debt? And that parable was used by Jesus to illustrate those who are Christians that withhold forgiveness, or who name the name of Christ, who withhold forgiveness. His point is this. If you are a Christian, you have been forgiven of everything you've ever done wrong or will do wrong. Amen? In Christ, your sins have been washed away by the blood of the Lamb. You've been forgiven of everything. It's been taken away. You're free. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. And oh, the joy we feel in our forgiveness. Oh, the, 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 the excitement we feel in our forgiveness. We are free. We've been washed clean. All sins taken away. And then someone offends us. And we say, nope. Even though I've been radically forgiven, even though I've embraced radical forgiveness, I'm going to withhold forgiveness from you. I've been forgiven of all my sins, but this one thing you've done, I cannot 
forgive. And Jesus uses the parable to say this is inconsistent with what it means to be a a Christian. Those who experienced radical forgiveness should extend radical forgiveness. And to me, this is a beautiful or beautifully pictured by the cross. The cross. You've got a, a vertical beam and you've got a horizontal beam. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And, and the vertical beam points to heaven. If you are a Christian, you've experienced forgiveness from God himself through his son, Jesus Christ. You've connected with God. You have a relationship with God. That, that's spoken of in the vertical beam. But then there's the horizontal beam, which speaks of our relationship with others. And as, as those who have embraced the forgiveness of God in Christ, oh, how we should extend it to those who have offended us. In other words, remember that we're all difficult people. And when someone bumps into you and you look at them and say, they need forgiveness, remember So did you. And so do you as you live your life on a day-by-day basis. How we deal with difficult people? Realize conflict is coming. Cultivate a Christ-like heart by the power of the Holy Spirit applied to our hearts by 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 the Word of God. And realize you had to be forgiven too. Don't live with a short memory. And as one who has embraced the radical forgiveness of Christ, oh, dear friend, listen to me. Learn, again, supernaturally, learn by God's help to extend that radical grace and forgiveness and reconciliation to others. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, your forgiveness will help your light to shine brighter than you can even imagine. In this mean, unforgiving, bitter world in which we live. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.